podcast, education, and more. The purpose of these podcasts are to help our students, families, and fellow teachers excel in the educational environment. everybody welcome back this is mr ortapan talking to you regarding education and more and so looking back on our last episode episode one which is exciting because we are already on our second episode and we're moving in the right direction but episode one we talked quite a bit about uh, studying skills and when we looked at those studying skills um, i want to kind of start today off talking a little bit about um you know, episode one going into episode two and the intent of the podcast. And a lot of the intent of this podcast is going to be for our students. It will be for our families, but we are also going to be exploring grounds and education more regarding creating some content for our fellow teachers and other educators out there to listen into and get some ideas. And so that kind of brings us to our podcast today. Not that if you are a parent, if you are a student, I do not, you know, I don't want to recommend for you to, you know, zone out or or turn this podcast off, but it's also sometimes very valuable for as a parent, as a student to understand how a teacher might design a lesson um, and how they how they kind of come to building an educational uh, um uh, you know, background or, or mapping so that th- it'll actually might help you, you know, it'll help you in the classroom. So join in on this one. But this this pod pack, podcast is going to be kind of uh, a little bit more or this episode is going to be a little bit more directed towards our educators or teachers, uh, especially the reason of this podcast is because of our current state uh, as we are all basically looking at an online or a remote learning type of environment. And I was excited to get this second podcast or second episode up and running because I am currently taking uh, graduate courses at uh, Cleveland State University. And one of the requirement readings that we have is an awesome book. Uh, and I'll start off by saying uh, I highly recommend my fellow educators to look into this book. It's called Small Teaching Online by Flower Darby with James M. Lang. And a required reading, which I just about finished with it, got a couple pages left, but there's so much valuable information in this, especially to our current state with the pandemic, uh, with moving over to online teaching. Um, and, and it's not huge, you know, hard to grasp concepts. The book does a stellar job with just not only introducing you to different ways of teaching and different designing ways of uh, teaching, but it provides some small strategies. And today we're going to be looking at some of those strategies that are really cool uh, towards implementing. So this podcast is going to be uh, looking at some instructional design stuff, uh, especially in the online environment. And we're going to be talking about, we're going to get into a little bit about what we're doing here in our school district, uh, because I have a special guest that's going to be joining us today. Uh, but we're also going to talk about, you know, we'll get into some some strategies that teachers can can practice and look at, and some rationale behind those strategies, 
in, in the concept of backwards design. So without further ado, we'll kind of get into that. But I want to take a second and introduce everybody to uh, our special guest. Many people know, uh, very, very popular uh, in, in the Ohio region, northern Ohio region. He's basically at every convention there is to think of with technology. Uh, Mr. Alex Orris is with us today. Um, hello. How are you? I'm great, Mr. Ordepan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, Alex, do you want to take uh, a second and kind of maybe... Um, give everybody a little bit of a background as far as where you're at and what you're doing. And I know you, you have, you've been on other podcasts for other, uh, um, educational podcasts. You've been at many different conventions. You do Google certified courses. You do a gazillion things here in the district with your tiger one. Um, go ahead. All right. Thanks. So, uh, just a quick recap of my story. I was a, a sixth grade math teacher for 11 years in Ashtabula County got my master's degree in instructional technology, which led me into uh, helping the teachers in my current building. Um, and then an opportunity arose here in Cuyahoga Falls that allowed me to be a tech coach or an integration specialist. Um, and it's what I love to do. So basically my goal is just to support our educators and help them bring content online, make it accessible and help our students utilize technology. You know, and, and I'm currently kind of following those foot, same footsteps as you are, you know, as a eighth grade American history teacher. And now, you know, contemplating, I was contemplating for a while what I was going to do for my master's and went in this direction regarding um, instructional technology. And, um, and, and you said something in there, you love doing it. You love creating the content. And that's something that, in a way, this, this pandemic situation has kind of been a, a blessing. If there's a silver lining in, in 2020, you know, this, there, if anything's out there, it's been so cool to create so much content and, uh, and, and, and putting it out there to have that time to create this, whether it's this podcast or whether it's a video online, it's kind of been a, a Christmas morning for people that love creating content for educators and for students. And nobody more than you. It's been great to see. <laughs> we joked that you were waiting for this moment for years, right? Yeah. And so, you know, technology should not be used to replace teachers. That's not, that's not the goal of technology. It's to make learning more accessible. And what's great about your story and how it parallels with mine is I never got into instructional technology to become a tech coach. I did it so that I could better the instruction I was using in my math classroom because I knew the tools were out there. I needed to know how to reach my students and parents better. So I started, you know, doing little things like recording lessons and making a web page and making a blog for my students. And it, you know, then it morphed into all the things that have come out since, which, you know, utilizing Google Classroom, ways to post assignments making it so it's easy and simple. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all about access, right? Whether it's 11 o'clock at night or 9.30 live during the day. Yeah, and you know, you know, getting into this as far as accessibility keeps coming up. And, and that's one of those things that, you know, technology kind of brings to us is, is there's the, the main barrier of student access to an online learning environment. And that's something that we've done. I think we've done a, I mean, our tech department here at, you know, Kaga Falls has done a stellar job regarding, 
you know, we we have hot spots for students that have internet um, internet struggles. We have communicated really well with our community as far as how to get that. We are we are officially one to one right right now, correct? We are, yeah. After after a big purchase and community support, they um, we have a, a tech fee, so that goes right back to the students, and that allowed us within two years to go from we were about one to three. Uh, one Chromebook to three students on a carded model throughout the district of 4,500 kids to now every student um, has access to, to a Chromebook. That's awesome. That's awesome because y we can talk about all the awesome things that technology brings to the table regarding um, you know anytime, anywhere type of edu education, which mm. and, and, and that's just a whole topic because I have so many students responding you know so well starting last spring, you know, I saw some students that just struggled in the classroom, struggled to kind of get that, that ball rolling. Man, they just took off flying once they were able to kind of have their own time, their own space, and and conquer the hurdles in front of them at their own their own pacing. So, um, but you gotta be able to have it accessible, right? And I think we've done a, a stellar job with that. But going a little bit further into the accessibility, you know, there's one thing to keep in mind is in your position uh so you're what's your your range so are you like middle school so, high school so for the for this district my specialty uh is six to eight for tech integration my teaching license is four to nine um, so i mostly focus on middle school and sometimes work into the high school a little bit so do you guys have like a vertical alignment regarding your your young um somebody in charge of instructional technologies mm -hmm. at a younger and then so you guys collaborate quite a bit as far as aligning stuff we do within the district we have a team of four of us two at the elementaries that service our six buildings and then I service our two middle school and we have one at the high school and really we use um, the ISTE technology standards and we use the Ohio technology content standards and what we try to do as far as alignment goes is we have um, mini ICANN statements throughout the, the elementary school and then we kind of spill over into things that we want our students to be able to do at the middle school and the high school so in this time where we're kind of going into remote the reason I bring that up is because one thing that we tend to overlook not so much teachers but just collectively is the idea that we're moving to an online environment not only do we have teachers that are you know going into a new paradigm of teaching, but we also have students that are entering into these new digital literacy expectations, you know, that, you know, you, what a eighth grader or what a high school student knows how to do with their computer and logging in and having some of the, you know, those functional skills or executive order skills is going to look much, much different than what, you know, your third graders and fourth graders are doing. So. It's important that we collectively are kind of going back to the concept of like, listen, this is some of these kids are kind of being thrown to the wolves here with some of the skills that they're that we're expecting of them, you know, especially during this time where it's just like, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, too, because, you know, as a teacher, you kind of want your students to be able to do certain things on a Chromebook or on an application. But that doesn't necessarily mean they've been taught those skills. And some of it is you know, uh, like we do as educators and like people do in the workplace, it's, it's on the spot learning. So if, if, if you find out kids don't know what you need them to know 
for a project, then part of it has to be to help instruct them. And we, we hope our teachers in the district turn to us for help in doing that. More, many teachers are more than capable of doing it um, alone, but we have the background to know what grade level students have been exposed to before, what we've had them do in the past. So we know prior knowledge, we could help build on it, expand upon it. And we, uh, as you mentioned, Tiger One, we try to collect as many resources as possible and make them available. And even if it's just so that when a teacher has a good question, we have a, uh, a spot that we can turn to and point them to as far as a video already there, a resource already there, a link to a blog already there. Um, and that's, it is a resource that's available to anybody at bit.ly backslash tiger one. And I've used that multiple times. And thank you, Alex, for doing that. <laughs> I mean, because I know you guys are working around the clock and not only just since this started, but before that, I think there was a lot of really good ground that was laid prior to going into this where kids were familiar with what Google Classroom was. You know, we were kind of behind the eight ball with it. And one of the things I noted that I think is just tremendous that we did collectively as a district was there was some guidance as far as how we posted assignments. And, and to elaborate on that, creating that commonality within the district that you know teachers to to clear up basically basically your your stream on google classroom create a daily agenda you know how information is released to students and not only that but our our, our assigning our numbering of of assignments i think there's a lot of benefit as a teacher myself with doing it you know just for my own you know instructional design but it's also, you know, the value to the student, you know, like we said, there's going to be a lot of students that are in a way kind of thrown to the wolves with this, but creating that common, that commonality across the board, I thought was a very smart move. Well, it was really important because, you know, backtracking a couple of years as teachers started using Google Classroom, we had a bunch of guidance on how it can be used, but no real direction that we wanted our teachers to follow like a classroom we gave teachers the autonomy to do what worked best for them. And out of the spring, when we got sent home for the last really 12 weeks or so of the school year, teachers were all using the same tools, but they were all using it differently. And that was really hard on parents and students. Um, so what we wanted to do over the summer is just a, a simple few steps that each teacher should take because they were being asked to use Google Classroom, as you mentioned simplifying the stream down to just a few things like your daily agenda, your syllabi, if you're using a, a Zoom link, great place to put it. And then when you create an assignment, some key aspects to look for, um, like obviously having a due date so it links to calendar, having a learning uh, student-friendly learning goal so that way they know what the, the purpose of the assignment is, any special instructions and attachments, and that way, if all of our teachers are doing the same thing, then students don't have to relearn different processes for different teachers. They can expect um, the same thing to be shown on each of their class pages. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, t to mention is the idea, it, it really drives home those digital literacy expectations that we as a district are, are laying out there, you know, those processes for you know whether it's a fourth grader or, or an eighth grader to continue building on and, and not you know if we return to school you know everything's great and students are coming back regularly to the classroom where we will be then compared to where we were is going to be 
it's going to be awesome. Can you imagine that? So we're going to couple the the student and content expertise that we had before COVID and then being thrust into this situation. Now we're delivering content and making it accessible digitally mm-hmm. and put those two things together and we've reimagined education. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. I, you know, when we do return and we bring those powers together, if you will, you know, it's it's going to be absolutely phenomenal what we're going to be able to accomplish in the classroom. And it's just not it's just not what the teachers didn't know or anything like that. It's just collectively, it's just you know, uh, redesigning or re, you know, like you said, just kind of. Uh, reinventing in a way, right? So so we've looked at accessibility and one of the things I wanted to get to today was some concepts, you know, as I mentioned in this book, Small Teaching Online. And one of the one of the things and strategies that are suggested in that book is some concepts around uh, or some concepts about backwards design. And I think about this with online education because I believe that it is very it's very easy to do. It is a it is a, a it is a, a teaching strategy that is very easy to implement uh, in the classroom uh, online. That is, and and truthfully, in the traditional classroom, it's easy to accomplish as well. But when we're online, you know, posting assignments and the way that we're categorizing assignments and numbering those assignments and providing daily agendas, it almost creates a daily visual representation of their end goal, right? Like, okay, class, today we're starting this unit. Here are the different tasks that uh, for the unit. Here's what here's what we got to do. You know, we're going to learn about this in this sequential order, and we're going to end at this particular unit objective or unit goal, whatever it is. By the end of this unit, you will be able to do X, Y, and Z. So that's kind of the concept with you know, a backwards design. Can I ask you something there, Eric? Yeah. Does it matter to you when the student meets that goal? Um, no. Because here's one thing I struggle with, uh, and I think that this new level of digitizing our instruction and assessments can really help, is when I was in the math room, my first many years, everybody moved at the same pace, and it's what I was comfortable with. Um, and you know, I, I think about my kids and it didn't matter to me when my son learned to walk or ride a bike or throw a football. Um, I just wanted to see him meet those goals eventually. And, and now when I think about education, it's the same way that it, it shouldn't matter how long it takes a student to master the skill. It shouldn't be by this Friday, you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Now I understand pacing and some things are compounded where you have to know A to get to B, Mm -hmm. but but online instruction allows a little bit of this flexibility where students can work ahead. They can, uh, if needed, take some more time on topics and how you record your videos and let students rewatch it on their own pace. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's making this learning more accessible. And we're gonna we're gonna find that different kids you mentioned earlier, different kids are gonna make this good. Yeah, we're good. Different different <laughs> fun of live recordings. Different kids are gonna um, gravitate towards this style of education. Other kids maybe aren't gonna do as well right now, but through it all, 
we're going to come out with a new understanding of how teachers and students can make learning accessible and interact and, you know, find that happy balance. I agree completely, Alex. You know, when we think about what this online uh, um, paradigm kind of has brought to us, and we start thinking about how we're designing instruction and how other ways that we can design instruction, um, by all means, backwards design isn't a isn't a new technique of designing instruction. We do it all the time, just sometimes knowingly and sometimes not so knowingly. You know, you think about what, what is the goal here? What, what is that we want our students to be able to understand? What do we want them to be able to achieve? And, you know, when, when it's goal-oriented and we think about those end results, it, it's going to open up the door as far as some student creation, some student reflection, um, some of the strategies with it, you know, creating like a, like a reflection piece, you know, or creating or doing something, something simple. This is, this is backwards design. Pre-assessments is, another, is, a, is a, another example of backwards design because what you're ultimately doing is give them the assessment at the beginning of the unit, you know, create that as the book mentions, fertile ground to where they understand what the end test is gonna look like. So they understand what type of content may they be learning. Who knows, you're gonna, you're gonna develop a lot of um, prior knowledge information from that as well as a teacher. Um, a reflection piece, um, have them revisit an assignment that they created earlier in that unit and have them reflect on that. You know, what would they have done different? And, and some of these reflection pieces, you know, it would obviously be organized, right? And so some of these reflection pieces is a great opportunity to when you're designing backwards to kind of pop those in there um, because that, that creates a lot of student ownership of work. Um, it, that reflection piece you know, and it, and also you can do it in so many ways. You can have them create an audio. You can mm -hmm. you can have them create a video towards that reflection that really drives home. It creates, you know, you're gonna love this phrase. It's gonna make them the creator, not oh, the consumer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, gonna, like it's gonna be more authentic to them. It's gonna make their education, their learning process much closer to them and create again that enduring understanding of that of of what they're after what those goals are and it creates better products too and, and you as a teacher you want to think about if you're having your students meta i should say use metacognition right to think about their thinking you've got to have a platform a way for them to go back and look at it and you want to be careful you don't just want to send them back to google classroom and dig through folders and dig through drive but have them create something like an e-portfolio, e even if it's just links on a hyperdoc or using Google Sites. Mm -hmm. And as you said, if they go back and look at their initial understanding of a topic and then see how much they've grown as a student, right? That's right. what we, we wanna see them grow, but they have to understand where they started and how far they've come that'll help drive them. We wanna right. motivate them intrinsically and knowing you know, knowing that you couldn't throw a football and now you can throw a spiral is going to be important to a, a you know, a, a kid. Well, mm -hmm. this knowing that I didn't understand the Revolutionary War when I first wrote about it and now I do, is going to prove what they've learned. Yeah, I, I use, it's funny you brought up your kids earlier because I, I thought of something similar to that when, 
when I first was coming across this, I was thinking to um, thinking to myself about my son, about um, going to uh, running around a track. He loves to go run around the track at the the local um, at the local track. But what he does is he he wants to be timed, and it's not that his time matters too much, but it means everything to him. Right. He's not comparing himself to others. He's comparing himself to his last run right and so as we're doing this podcast you've just you know informed me that i am you know it's time for what are we in fourth period must be yeah we're in fourth period and you know i have my computer here and i turn to my left and that's what the ding was earlier is my students entering into my classroom hello students i'm in the middle of a podcast We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, we've kind of went a little bit long on our time, but another <laughs> Did great- Did they clap or roll their eyes? Uh, what, was the, what was the reaction? Some of them are, looks like putting away laundry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, will, I will leave us with that. It was, thank you so much for coming in to do this podcast with us. Oh, thanks um, for having me. Hopefully our listeners take something away from us, you know, rambling on about uh, some design stuff and accessibility and, um, and hopefully we kind of hit some of the goals. I do, and I had every intent to leave us with this one quote that I had marked in my, my book here. Uh, I just love this. It, this phrase, you know, when you come across something that just stands out to you in a book, and I love how this just, it, we're gonna end it with this. When they, the students, when they see the relevance of coursework, the thread that ties everything together, students are more willing to complete activities and assessments in a way that promotes meaningful learning. And that just stuck out to me in so many different ways, uh, especially with online learning, uh, the, visual, the visual cues that exist within something like Google Classroom and what this brings. So again, hopefully you got something from this. We appreciate it. Uh, look forward to episode three. And if there's anything uh, in the in the future you'd like for us to talk about on a podcast, education and more, whether that's from a student perspective, parents, community, teachers, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you or talk to you later. <laughs>